0: this we come to a turning point. We come to a very profound juncture in our verse by verse exposition of the book of Luke. In our text today, Jesus turns south and begins to head to Jerusalem. This journey begins in our passage today in Luke chapter 9, starting at verse 51. So turn to that place. The journey begins towards Jerusalem in Luke chapter 9, verse 51. And believe it or not, this Jerusalem journey will will go all the way through Luke chapter 19. And verse 44, it's the lengthiest section in the book of Luke. It's 37% of the gospel is him traveling to Jerusalem. And most of this section, these next 10 chapters, most of this section is unique to Luke's gospel. It's not found in Matthew and Mark and John. And Jesus is on the road this entire section. He's on the road with his followers. And it's going to be easy to forget that as we come through this section because Luke is not particularly concerned about continually reminding us that he's on the road and even putting specific geographical markers in the text or time markers but we need to remember this. He's on the road, and Jerusalem is on His mind. Jerusalem is upon His heart where He would go to the cross of Calvary. And there's going to be, because of this change in section, there's going to be a shift in emphasis in the next ten chapters, which we will be calling the Jerusalem Journey. In fact, there's only four recorded miracles in the next ten chapters. But what we're going to have is, are you ready? 17 parables. And so Jesus is going to emphasize not demonstrating who he is by the miracles. He's going to begin to, to the extent that they could handle it. He's going, to, he's going to explain what it means and how important it is. He's going to be speaking to us. 15 of the parables that we're going to cover in the next 10 chapters are unique only to the gospel of Luke. This is a very powerful section in this book, and Jesus is on a mission of mercy. He is on the road to our redemption in this section, and it's so exciting That he's not alone in this. He takes others with him. Men and women. He takes others with him in his travels. And what I want us to see this whole section is we're walking with Jesus. I want us to picture it. I want us to be there with him. He's guiding us. He's directing us. He's teaching us. His mission in this world today is our mission in this world. And I, I wish we could grasp this. I wish we could see ourselves there and recognize that we are on this mission with Jesus when it comes to the decisions that we make tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day. So right at the outset, as he turns his face to to Jerusalem, (laughs) we read about a very shocking event that occurs right away as he's turning towards mercy as they move into south, heading south, as they move into the region of Samaria. So take up your Bibles, look at verse 51 of Luke chapter 9, and let's read this section. Starting right away at verse 51. The Word of God says this. When the days were approaching for His ascension... He was determined to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers on ahead of him, and they went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make arrangements for him. But they did not receive him because he was traveling toward Jerusalem. When his disciples James and John saw this, they said, Lord, Do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them. And they went on to another village. Thus reads the word of the living God. Brothers and sisters... You and I are on the road with Jesus on his mission today. We are participating in the mission of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are following him on his mission of mercy to seek and to save the lost. We are. And what I want to I answer this question this morning as we begin the Jerusalem journey. What does this path traveling with Jesus look like? How is Jesus to be followed? And in our passage, there are four timeless principles. It was true for the apostles, and it's true for followers of Christ today. There are four timeless principles of following Jesus, of participating with Jesus on his mission that are true for the twelve back then and that are true for us today. Number one, so this is all about following Jesus. Number one, following Jesus. Discipleship will take resolve. It will take resolve. Verse 51 when the days were approaching for his ascension, he was determined to go to Jerusalem. Now, in Luke chapter 9, much of Jesus' three-year ministry is over. There's only six months left before the cross of Calvary. He could sense that it was coming, and he sets his face to head to Jerusalem, because the text says the days were approaching for his ascension, or that could be translated, the days were being fulfilled, it's it's the word for fulfilled for his ascension. And so Jesus has the cross right before his eyes, his death, burial, resurrection, an ascension to the right hand of the Father and even the pouring forth of the Spirit he has that whole Pentecost once for all redemptive event that would be accomplished in Jerusalem on his mind and it's going to be fulfilled he says we learned it as he was speaking with Elijah and Moses on the Mount of Transfiguration, they were talking about the fulfillment of his departure. And here's the other bookend of that event, the ascension. His departure and death, all of those events, including his ascension, he was going to Jerusalem to accomplish this, which means it was written about in the scriptures, both the suffering And the Ascension and all of it, the resurrection itself, it was written in the Old Testament Scriptures, but they were misunderstanding it as the disciples. They couldn't see that there were two comings, a first and second coming. They couldn't understand that the Son of Man, the Christ of God who would come in power and glory, and they got a glimpse of it, right, on the Mount of Transfiguration, that he would come and he would pour forth judgment on this earth. They couldn't understand that now he had come on a mission of mercy and judgment was delayed. And we have to keep this whole context in mind even as we begin this Jerusalem journey. The days were approaching for his ascension. So Jesus is heading to Jerusalem. And he's heading for a hill called Golgotha. Are you ready? And a mount called Olives from which he would ascend back to the Father. All of that was in Jerusalem. Now, how is he going to do this? It's not going to be easy. We're going to find out the next ten chapters that the trip to Jerusalem was all but easy. And I would say... Our trip in this world following Jesus is all but easy. It's going to take resolve. Jesus is determined, the text says, to go to Jerusalem. He's following the lead of his father, step by step. For the joy set before him, he's determined to go. But it's so emphatic the way the text talks about his determination here. It's hard to even translate because it's an emphatic he. It shouldn't be stated, the pronoun he, but it is he, the face he set. Or he, his face he set. He strengthened his face. He set it. His face was turned and set, the text says, to go to Jerusalem. That word for determined, determined or strengthened, or set, is hard to translate. It means to fix firmly in a place. His face was fixed firmly in place with his eyes on Jerusalem and what he would accomplish there in his departure and ascension and all the events in between. He was determined. He was fixed. In respect to His humanity, He was determined. He was fixed. in. He was resolved. I want you to see this. Because we're going to need to have the same resolution, the same strengthening and determination to fix our eyes on the finish line question I have for you as we follow Christ, are we resolved like Jesus Christ? Do we recognize that it's going to take this kind of resolution? This kind of resolution that this passage is talking about is going to be much more than you and I have in our own flesh. This is not pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. We can't get it done. This is going to have to be more resolution than the New Year's resolution that is already over in mid-March. Last two weeks. It's not a two-week resolution. In fact, I think the way the words are are recorded in the book of Luke that there's an allusion which means like a an echo in this passage back to the Old Testament scriptures in Isaiah chapter 50 and verse 7. In Isaiah chapter 50 and verse 7, you've got the servant of Yahweh. And there's the third servant song in Isaiah 50 And and it's shocking, and and it's in the Scriptures, that this servant of Yahweh would somehow be a suffering servant. And he would endure suffering. But he would endure that suffering with faith. And we read about it in Isaiah 50, verse 7. Don't turn there, but just listen. You can write the reference down. But the Lord Yahweh, he says, the Lord Yahweh helps me. He helps me. Therefore, I am not disgraced. I have set my face as flint. I have set my face as flint. And I know that I will not be put to shame. And this is in the mind of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is in the mind of Luke. This verse, setting his face firm like flint, like rock. Determined to go to Jerusalem. This is a tenacious kind of conviction and resolve. And you know what? I think throughout church history, if you study church history, you've seen flashes and glimpses of this tenacious resolve. Haven't, haven't we? Let me give you one. One of my favorite commentaries, Davis, tells about the story of Thomas Bilney. I like talking about church history, people we haven't heard of sometimes. Thomas Bilney. He was a part of the Cambridge Circle that instigated the English Reformation. The year is 1528. And he's on trial before the powers of Rome. In this case, a man named Bishop Tungstall. And as he was on trial, Bilney backed away from Jesus Christ. He recanted knowing and loving Jesus. And he did that because he didn't want to burn at the stake. Can you blame him? He didn't want to burn. I don't know about you, but imagine, I mean, you feel your own sin yesterday. You feel your own weakness today. And you're a follower of Jesus. I look around this room. How would we feel? Well, Thomas, because of his failure, was plunged into despair and misery. And he couldn't be consoled. Are you with me? He knew he was wrong to save his life. He knew he was wrong to turn his back on Jesus. He did love Jesus. So it was a few days later, things became clear And he was ready and desired at that point to be a martyr for Jesus. And the the time for death drew near. Late one night, he couldn't sleep. He called his friends and fellow believers around him. And he reminded them and he warned them how he had fallen in the past. But then he said this, quotes, You shall see me no more. Do not stay me. My decision is formed and I shall carry it out. My faith is set to go to Jerusalem, end quotes. And on August 19th, that year, 1528, on August 19th, Bilney was forced out into a pit where he was burned at the stake, where he went to his Jerusalem, where he walked in the steps of his suffering Savior. And as he died, he was reciting Psalm One. 43 Brothers and sisters if we're going to follow Jesus we must be resolved We must be resolved to fight against our sin We must be resolved to gather with the saints and hear the word of God preached we must be resolved to seek God in prayer. We've got to be resolved to get up in the morning. We've got to be resolved. It's a fight. Isn't it encouraging that it's hard? It's supposed to be hard. Keep your heart, Proverbs 4.23, with all diligence, for out of it flows all the issues of life. We are resolved to open up our mouths and speak for Christ. All throughout church history, Holy Spirit resolution is a timeless principle for all disciples of Jesus Christ. We cannot coast on our Jerusalem journey. We must set our face like flint to follow Jesus. You remember that old song around the campfire? I have decided. To follow Jesus I have decided to follow Jesus though none go with me I still will follow no turning back no turning back the first timely principle of following Jesus if he the God man needed resolution and conviction He walk by faith, empowered by the Spirit. So we walk by faith, empowered by the Spirit, and it will take resolve. The second timeless principle of following Jesus as we begin the Jerusalem journey, discipleship will result in rejection. It will result in rejection, verses 52 and 53. And he sent messengers on ahead of him and they went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make arrangements for him, but they did not receive him because he was traveling toward Jerusalem. And so picture it, Jesus sends some messengers south into Samaria trying to maybe housing arrangements, ministry arrangements into the cities of Samaria and they didn't receive the messengers of Christ. Because the Samaritans heard that ultimately he was heading to Jerusalem through their land. You say, what's the big deal? I mean, let them travel through the land, help them out a little bit. Well, there was a rift between the Samaritans and the Jews. They despised one another, both ways. 2 Kings, you can write this down, 2 Kings 17, 13 and 14 gives us the reason. And it tells us, that, now picture this, you got the northern kingdom, the southern king, teaching moment. North, south, northern kingdom of Israel, southern kingdom of Judah, right? Samaria's in the middle. The Assyrians come in up north and take the Jews and pull them to Assyria, right? But they leave the poor, the poor Jews in the northern part of the kingdom. They're left there to sort of caretake the land, But what they did to make sure the Jews don't get out of hand is they they took and they implanted all kinds of different pagan nations to come and settle with the poor remnant Jews that were there left, and they intermarried with the pagan nations, and and they intermarried with the surviving and remaining Israelites. And so the religion in that region was mixed with pagan elements. And so D.A. Carson is right. After the exile, the Jews, quotes, viewed the Samaritans not only as the children of political rebels, but as racial half-breeds whose religion was tainted by unacceptable elements, end quotes. And so the Samaritans, bless their hearts, offered to help rebuild the temple for the Jews. I'll have you if you'll have me. They would not be had by the Jews. No, no. You're done. You're not helped. We don't need your help. And so at 400 B.C., the Samaritans said, Fine, we're going to erect a rival temple on Mount Gerizim. And so they did. They had a rival place of worship. Not in Jerusalem. And? the Samaritans helped the Syrians in their wars against the Jewish people. And in retaliation, the Jews, at the end of the 2nd century B.C., the Jewish ruler in Judea burned the Samaritan temple to the ground in Mount Gerizim. It wasn't good. And they even had, they only had the first five books of the Old Testament that there was, was their Bible, not all of it. So there was theological disagreements, political, racial disagreements. It was a real mess. The Jews said the Samaritans were racial, half-breeds, and theologically inept. Hated and despised by the Jews. In fact, John eight forty eight, the Jews answered and said to Jesus, do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Get the idea. That was, that was bad. So the Samaritans didn't much like the Jews either. And so Jesus and his messengers are coming south. You're heading to Jerusalem, to the rival temple? You're not going to get any help from us. That's the context of the hatred between the Samaritans And the Jews. We're not going to allow these Jewish pilgrims to pass through our land on the way to a competing temple. In fact, the Jews would travel around Samaria to get to the temple when they went for their feasts every year. But not Jesus. He went right in. Right in. Resolved to go right in. Now, do we all agree that is God's plan from before times eternal for Jesus Christ to go to the cross of Calvary and die for sinners like us and to rise from the grave, that's the plan of God? But I want you to see that the Jerusalem journey being the plan of God was met with resistance and rejection. There's a different R word, resistance, rejection is fine, but there's a word that's used here, a different R word, they did not, look at the text, they did not receive him. Important word, because that word ties back to verse 48, when Jesus says, whoever receives this child in my name, right, receives me, and if you receive me, you receive the father. He's making a connection between these passages. They didn't receive the Christ. They rejected the Christ. They rejected the Savior. It's very sad. But the point is the timeless principle of discipleship, traveling with Jesus on the road, and it is this, you will be rejected. Huh. You're not an apostle. You're not, most of you aren't pastors or deacons. Some of you are. Some of you are missionaries. But every single Christian in this room is a follower of Jesus Christ, a disciple of Jesus Christ, a learner of Jesus Christ, a disciple-making disciple of Jesus Christ. Every single Christian is on this mission of mercy. Listen, Christian, you are part of the road trip. God has a significant plan and purpose for your life, connected to the person and work of Jesus Christ in this world it 's connected to discipleship you 're on a mission you've got to we 've got to at least start there with this passage. Now hear me on this we 've got to shake off the cobwebs we 've got to get some some smelling salts, and we've got to unplug from the entertainment and get about and, the, and, and the, the pursuit of other things and get about the work of the Lord that He's called us to do in the church and in the community and in this culture. But I want you to know that's true. That's, right, we don't even, that's not even explained in this passage. But when you do, you will not be received by your family if they don't know Christ. You will not be received by this world. Your mission will find resistance. There will be rejection. There will be so many setbacks and failures in your ministry. We've seen this in our own ministry here at Grace Community Bible Church. My question is, should that stop this church? Not according to this passage. It's going to take resolve. It should not stop. As I think of Jonathan Edwards the most prominent theologian that has ever stepped foot on American soil in my opinion had a church about this size and towards the end of his ministry he was fired or the prince of preachers the great Brian York favorite preacher Charles Haddon Spurgeon. At the end of his ministry, he was rejected by his denomination in the so-called downgrade controversy, and he ended his ministry struggling with, I think, probably gout and depression and disillusionment. The great Charles Haddon Spurgeon. I wish we could see that this is a principle of following Jesus. It's not going to be easy. Right out of the gates, we got ten chapters where the first five verses were met by rejection, rejection by the Samaritans. You will have find resistance if you're as you follow God's call in your life, being on mission as a disciple, making disciple of Jesus Christ with the gifts that he has given you to serve, you will find resistance if you think, if you think, listen, that an easy path is a sign of God's plan for your life, then you're missing the whole point of discipleship. If it's easy and all the obstacles are removed and you think that that's an indication of God's path, I think we sometimes misread the plan of God for our lives. So what should our response to this rejection be? What, how should we respond to resistance? Should we lash out? We'll find out that that's probably not great in this next heading. Should we press on or should we give up? Well, let's find out as we move forward. Number three, the third principle of discipleship here, it will focus on rescue, verses 54 and 55. Discipleship will focus on rescue. The disciples James and John here are called the sons of thunder, and we're going to find out why they want to call lightning down from heaven. They didn't react too kindly to the rejection of the Samaritans. (laughs) They didn't. Let's look what happens in verse 54. When his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? And so I think with James and John, and it would probably be true for us that there's some sinful anger here that wants retribution and payback for the rejection, but I think we are a little bit too hard on James and John. I think there is probably some sinful anger here, but there's a sense of honor for the Christ, Honor for the name of Christ, the God Man, of for who Jesus is. That is the Christ of God. Here, He's the one, like a son, the Son of Man. Show Him some respect. And so, these disciples have a mixed bag of honoring Christ and anger. Anybody relate to being a mixed bag? We have a tendency to cast these disciples in a completely negative light here, but I. I think we need to remember that we, too, are filled with both sin and sanctification. and We have our emotions, and they are real. These, remo- these emotions need to be governed by the truth. How forgetful we are. Say, well, let's call down fire. Let's hinder them. Who's the greatest? This is the context. This is emotional. and Their word, and their their speaking and acting in light of their emotions. How forgetful we can be of the truth of the teaching of Christ. How forgetful they were of the truth of the teaching of Christ. I mean, think about it. Jesus has already talked about how to respond to enemies of the gospel just in this book. The first extended sermon that's recorded in the book of Luke is Luke chapter 6, verse 27. Luke 6, 27, they had forgotten. It said, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. That probably applies to the Samaritans. Or, verse 35 of Luke 6, but love your enemies and do good. And then there's the kind of an explanation. And do good, just as your Father is merciful, is merciful and In the same sermon, next verse, verse 37, Do not judge, and you will not be judged. And do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. So Jesus has taught about mercy. There's forgetfulness here. Isn't it true that we need to act, not on our emotions, but we must act whether we feel a little offended at the Samaritans in our life or not. We have to act on the truth of the teaching that Jesus has given us as followers and learners of Christ, well, they forgot. And we forget. If we remember, perhaps we react differently instead of calling down fire. Now, there's something more here. wish I had more time. There's something more here. I would love to study this further. In the disciples' defense there was some Old Testament precedent for fire being called down from heaven. We read it in our scripture reading, remember? 2 Kings chapter 1. In that place, the northern king, right? The northern king of Israel, his name was Ahaziah, he sent messengers to inquire of a false god, Beelzebub, the Lord of the Flies. he's The king of Israel sent messengers to inquire of a false god. He had fallen down. He couldn't get up and he needed healing and he sent some messengers ahead. Well, Elijah tells these messengers, hold on a second, he rebukes the king. Is there not a God in Israel? Is there not a true God that you would seek the Lord of the Flies? And the message, go back and tell your king that. So they turn and they go back to the king. and They say, hey, there's a guy who says, you know, you're sinning and doing this, seeking this out. There's a God in Israel. Who was it? Was the guy with this and that? Was it Elijah? So he, the king, the apostate king of Israel, twice sent soldiers to assassinate Elijah, to kill him. And Elijah called fire down, and the messenger and fifty was incinerated and consumed, and it happened a second time, and a messenger and fifty were consumed. And so they know their bibles let's call down some fire from heaven. Now, this is very interesting because the situations, and we do this all the time in the interpretation of Scripture, the situations aren't exactly the same. They just want to, they're not, the Samaritans are not on the attack mode. They're just not letting them pass through. And admittedly, Elijah is being assassinated by 50 men. That's a kind of unfair odds. And Elijah is trying to demonstrate that he has the name and the power of the one true God of heaven at his disposal. And so all of these things are going through the heads of John and the sons of thunder. And there is a similar issue here, though, that, that a worship of false gods, that, that not receiving the true God, receiving the Christ, is a matter of life and death. It's a matter that has eternal consequences. You ought not to reject the true God. And so with, the, with this in mind, the disciples were zealous to make Jesus known. We want his identity to know. We want everyone to know. We get it. He's the Christ. He's one like the Son of Man. There's lightning that comes forth from his face. We saw it on the great Mount of Transfiguration. They saw a glimpse of his power at the second coming. Bring it, Jesus. Bring the lightning down. Show them who you are. And Elijah legitimized his prophetic ministry by calling down fire, so ought Jesus. But don't forget, and I think this is so interesting, there's a third commander and a third company that comes to Elijah. And that third company begs for mercy to Elijah. And the God of the universe, spares the company. Did you notice that? The echo of mercy, even in the Old Testament passage. They were shown mercy at that point. So, what we have here is the disciples getting something right in their thought about this Old Testament context, but they didn't really understand. They didn't understand that the first coming and the second coming would be separated, and now was the time for mercy. Judgment would come, but judgment would be put on hold. That judgment is associated with the second coming and the establishment of the kingdom on this earth. Now Christ has come in a mission of mercy to speak the good news of salvation from sin and to seek and to save the life. He has come to withhold the fire of judgment now. Echoed in the third group who received mercy. Even in the Old Testament passage. By begging for it. And now God is patient and he offers rescue to lost sinners. He offers rescue to lost sinners. Discipleship now will focus on rescue. Not Retribution. This is a familiar passage. I'm going to take the time to have you turn to it. Keep your finger here in Luke chapter 9 and turn to John chapter 3. Matthew, Mark, Luke. Next book over to the right. John chapter 3. Find verse 16. The most familiar verse in the whole world. But the verses that follow are not familiar. Now is the time for rescue and not retribution in the plan of God. John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. Uh-oh, now this is the part we don't keep reading. For Here it is. God did not send the Son into the world to what? Judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged. Watch this. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. This is the judgment that the light has come into the world and men love the darkness rather than the light for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. So if we're going to follow Jesus now between the first and the second comings, in this age, right, there is a principle right now in our discipleship. Now is the time to offer hope, not bring down the hammer. Now is the time to offer hope. This does not mean we don't call out sin, because the good news doesn't make sense with the context of bad, without the context of bad news. But we are not the judge. We are not the executioner. We are heralds of the good news, of the hope, of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That there is a Savior that will save sinners. That there's a fountain open for sin. That there's a Savior who is alive that says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. And that if you plunge yourself into that fountain, Sinners plunge beneath that flood will lose all their guilty stains. We may be upset when sinners spurn the Word of God. We're super grieved and angry and upset about the darkness of our culture and the ever-increasing hostility of the world when it comes to Jesus Christ. But now is not the time for judgment. We are sent to preach the gospel message. And that includes a warning of judgment. But just like 2 Kings, we call for people to beg for mercy to the one greater than Elijah. Brothers and sisters, listen to me. Today is the day of mercy. News for a hopeless generation. What great news. It's, it's good news. We offer it freely to those around us. We tell them that now is the time for mercy. God is patient. They may mock the patience of God, like in the book of 2 Peter, but God is still patient. There is still a rainbow of the Noahic covenant that is still shining Today of hope hope for humanity it's still visible today is the day of salvation discipleship will focus on rescue right now not retribution but understand me listen to me if you have been told that there is a creator god who owns you if you have been told that you are a sinner. And that you're under the wrath of God if you do not believe in Him. Yes, you may be able to live it out for a few years. God is very patient right now. Fire won't come from heaven right now. But I'm telling you that in your unbelief you're as good as judged already the text says. You can't reject the message. If you you reject the message if you do not receive the Christ like the Samaritans then fire may be In the future, but in many ways you have been judged already in your unbelief. God is patient between the first and second coming until the fullness of the Gentiles have come in and His church is built from every tribe, every nation, every kindred, and every tongue. Praise God for His mercy. Praise God for His patience. But that time will not last forever and you don't know the dates. You don't know the time in your own heart when it will stop beating. Today is the day of salvation. Do not be like the Samaritans. Do not send the Son of of Man away. Do not send the Son of Man away. Let Him come into your house. Let Him come into your heart. Do not reject Jesus. Receive Him. Let Him in. Let Him stay. Today. Today. Not tomorrow, not the next day. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of rescue. This is our message. It leads us finally to the fourth timeless principle of discipleship found in our passage. And it is this. Discipleship will involve rebuke. Verse 55. He turned and rebuked them. And they went on to another village. You say there's some stuff in my Bible that's in brackets and said, you do not know what kind of spirit you are of for the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives but to save them. This, they're in brackets because that part is not found in the original manuscripts. That's not a part of the Bible. That's a later scribal edition. Um, and that part of the original text of the book of Luke. So the scripture simply says, and it's very stark, and he turned and rebuked them, and they went on to another village. It's very telling about discipleship. Listen carefully, this is good. In the context, the disciples are arguing who's going to be greatest, and what does Jesus do? He gives them an illustration and instructs them. Then the disciples are trying to hinder people. a man who is casting out demons in the name of Jesus. And what does Jesus do? He corrects and trains in righteousness. Now, they really make a mess of it. They call fire down from heaven and what does Jesus do? He rebukes. Does that sound familiar? In discipleship? The Father's voice booms down from the Shekinah cloud on the Mount of Transfiguration. Listen to Him. Isn't it encouraging that discipleship will involve rebuke? We don't know everything. We need to be instructed. We're not going the right way half the time. We're going to need to be corrected. And in fact, some days we are making a mess of it and we will need a rebuke. Now let me ask you something. Is Jesus physically standing by us today? Please say no. No, he's, there's a man in heaven. He has sent his spirit, the teacher, the teacher of the great encourager, the teacher living within our heart, right? Through the word of God is our instructor, is our corrector, is our trainer. How does he speak to us? He speaks to us through our pastor's He speaks to us through our parents. He speaks to us through other disciples. Are you ready to receive instruction? Are you ready to receive correction? Are you ready to receive rebuke as a disciple of our Lord Jesus Christ? Isn't it encouraging that this is all part of it and I can just kind of get over myself and let the Lord work? What a privilege it is to be rebuked. It means you're one of the redeemed. In love, Jesus rebukes the sons of thunder. Oh, but he would never reject the sons of thunder, for he loves them till the end and prays for them that their faith would not fail. Four timeless principles. Discipleship will take resolve. Discipleship will result in rejection. Discipleship will focus on rescue. And discipleship will involve rebuke. And all of that sounds really hard. And it is. So what do we do when we want to give up? Verse 56, and they went on to another village. And they went on. And they went on to another village. We press on like our Savior Jesus before us. Just from our scripture memory, Hebrews 12 verse 1, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider Him who has endured such hostility by sinners against Himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. How did Jesus endure? Listen, as we close, I know it's a little long. Listen, how did Jesus endure? Where did the fire come down from in kings from heaven where were they calling fire to come down from heaven this is the justice and judgment of a holy god against sin this is the justice and judgment that consumes sin and sinners and this is what i want you to know when jesus set his face like flint to go to jerusalem In order to accomplish our redemption. While judgment was delayed for us. The white hot wrath of God from heaven. Was not delayed for him. It was poured down upon him. As he hung there on the tree. And it consumed your sin. Past present and future. It consumed your death, but it did not consume one like the Son of Man, for He was sinless and holy. And He died, and it was proven that it did not consume Him, for He rose from the grave. He did not rot. He rose in newness of life. And this is the Jesus that we proclaim. This is the good news that we proclaim. That if we hide in this one this Jesus. If we hide in Him by faith at the second coming when the fire of God which will come and purge this earth and sinners when it comes we will be hid in one like the Son of Man and we will never be consumed because we are safe in Christ and safe in Him forever. Brother, sister, you'll never be consumed by the fire of the justice of God because of Christ. So let's go. We're good. And let's spread that kind of good news. That kind of good news is worth spreading like wildfire. Let us pray. Lord, Lord,